Well, good morning. Good to see you. I was um, oh. Good to see you. I was away last week. Oh goodness, I'm very echoey. I was away last week uh, with uh, Chris as well. Chris is here. Yes. <laughs> Hasn't been here for a few weeks, but it's over most of the effects of the surgery that you had a few weeks ago. So great to have you with us, Chris. And we were both away last week uh, with our families uh, in Cornwall on holiday and had a lovely, fantastic time. But it is a fantastic thing to be back with you today. Um, so uh, I'm really looking forward to what God has to say to us all this morning. If you have a Bible, you might like to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. And uh, we're going to be reading verses 13 through 20. This is a passage of scripture that um, I love. And it's a passage of scripture that uh, I actually read a couple of Tuesdays ago when we had a Tuesday night together looking at the vision and values and mission of the church. And uh, I read this at the end of the evening as we summed up. And ever since I read it, uh, I've just been mulling over it and it's been so, so helpful. So uh, we're going to look at this this morning together. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, you can put your hand in the air and Cynthia is bringing some around. Um, so you can, uh, you can get a Bible from Cynthia. If you just pop your hand in the air, you can get hold of one. And we're going to be reading together. I'll give you a bit of time to turn to the passage. We're going to be talking today about God's great building plan that really has very little to do with a building. So uh, Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, I'm going to read and uh, please read along with me. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. I think this is a significant passage of Scripture. All passages of Scripture are significant, of course. But for us... As a church, in this time, I think it has a lot to say to us. Sorry if you're visiting, I'm going to be a little bit in-house, but maybe you'd like to know as well. Uh, we're going through a little season of change at the moment with a few things. So we are um, changing the lead eldership of the church from Chris to myself in September. And then in uh, early 2015, we'll be changing the name of the church from Beaconsfield Baptist Church to Hope Church Beaconsfield. And so during this season of change. There'll be a lot of stuff happening, a lot of stuff going on. And I think if we can grasp something of what Jesus is saying to Peter here in Matthew chapter 16 and also saying to us, I think we'll be a people who will move through this season with great success 
And by success, I mean fulfilling what is said in the Bible, that we have been chosen and chosen to bear fruit, to see God glorified in what we do and to see many people come to know him. I think it's a really important passage. It's no doubt a debated passage of scripture. Many people think many different things about it. I'd encourage you to look into it, read it for yourself, pray about it. You will get lots out of it. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as some people do uh, to say that this is the appointment of uh, Peter as the first pope, which many people do uh, in the Roman Catholic tradition um, uh, more obviously. Uh, Clearly, Peter is a leader in the early church. He's he's a significant leader, but he's, he's one of many. So James is also a key leader in the early church throughout scripture. Paul is clearly a key leader throughout scripture. So we can't really see that Peter is the only clear head of the church in in the passages of scripture that we see. As we go through the New Testament, we see that the early church has a model of plural leadership. In fact, Peter has to come under Paul at one point when their teaching kind of contradicts one another and they have to work that out together. So we see that there's this model of plural leadership in the New Testament. So the idea that this passage gives Peter some kind of divine right above the other apostles is not the case when you go on to read the rest of the New Testament. It, It must be said that in the New Covenant... What we see in scripture is that there is only one great high priest. There is only one captain. There is only one leader. There is only one man who builds his church. And that man is Jesus. And we don't have to go through anybody. That's already been praised this morning. We don't have to go through anybody to get to Jesus. No structure. No priest. No father. Jesus is there for us. An ever-present help in our time of need. We can come before the throne of grace, forgiven of our sins, and speak with him, commune with him, and ask him to be with us. Under Jesus, he appoints leaders of the church, but they're always in teams. That's the biblical model that we see, this plural leadership. We're blessed by that here in this church. I have a great team, and I, I know that sounds somewhat arrogant to say because I'm part of the eldership team here, but please hear me, I'm talking about the other guys. I'm so blessed to be part of a great team with Chris and Alan and Paul, a team that leads the church. That doesn't kind of mean one person can run away with a crazy idea, but has to go to the others and then say, hey, let's pray about this. Let's talk about this. And with great compassion and heart for this church and Christians across the world, we work together to lead the church. A great honour and a great uh, privilege that Christ has, has given elders. And so if that's not what this passage is about then what is it about? Well, it has to be about Peter. He is the one that's being addressed here, but it's about Peter in this specific moment. What he has just done, to be precise, this statement of faith that he has just made to Jesus. It's Peter in this place, in this moment, with this history-changing, earth-shattering statement on the tip of his tongue. It's when Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, that Jesus looks at him and says, right, on this, 
on you, on your statement of faith, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And Jesus, of course, asks the same question to each and every one of us today. The question of who is Jesus to the people, uh, as Jesus first asked Peter, who do people say that I am? Well, we could ask that question today. Well, people say that he was just a good teacher. People say that he was a myth. People say that everything we read about him has been changed and edited and all that kind of stuff. But then Jesus cuts through that and says, well, okay, but who do you say that I am? It's the most important question that any of us will ever answer. Who do you say that I am? Who do you consider Jesus to be? And if we respond, like Peter responded, by saying, well, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and I'm going to lay down my life for you. If we respond like that, then I believe Jesus responds to us like he did to Peter. He says, right, well, we've got some work to do. We're going to build the church together. We're going to show my kingdom together. I don't know where you were when you first made that statement, if you have yet. I was 15. I was at a summer camp. I was a bit of a stupid teenager. But I responded in faith to a call to come forward and give my life to Jesus. And I didn't know what Jesus was saying to me at that point. But looking back, I know that he was saying, great, well done. Now let's go. We've got some work to do. We've got a church to build together. We're going to be co-workers in taking the kingdom of heaven to the ends of the earth. I don't know where you were. Maybe you were in the back of your car and your mum or your dad was talking to you and they prayed with you. Or maybe you were sitting on your bed and your mum or your dad was praying prayers with you and they prayed for you. Maybe you were like me, you were a teenager at a summer camp. Maybe you were older, you were in an alpha course. Maybe you were sitting in one of the chairs in this church. Wherever you were, whether you knew it or not, when you said, he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God, Jesus celebrated with the angels in heaven. And then looked down and said, right, let's build the church together. With your gifts, with your talents, with your passions, you are now part of the people of God. And you may not have felt like a rock. You may not feel like a rock today. But if you can stand and make that statement that Jesus is the Messiah, then you are stronger than any king, any warrior, because you're part of the church of Jesus Christ. Bill Hybels, Christian author, writes in his book, and I know I've quoted this before, but it's just wonderful, in his book, Courageous Leadership. He says, there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions. It frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalised of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organisation on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. And you know, you are part of that church. Because you will know, or if you don't, you need to know, 
that the church isn't about buildings. I once went with my family to, uh, to a city in America and we were walking around and we went to this old cathedral, this old church. We were walking around this old church building and I think I wasn't really hiding my dissatisfaction very well. I was pretty grumpy. I wasn't really enjoying the day and I wasn't enjoying the church building. And my dad said to me, you know, I thought this would be up your street. You know, you're a Christian, you're a churchgoer. I thought you'd like this kind of thing. And I didn't say it, but what I thought is, this isn't a church. No one meets here. No one's here worshipping God. No one's here on mission for him. This isn't a church. This is a museum. And it's not even a good museum. There are no dinosaur bones or anything cool. It's a rubbish museum. This isn't a church. Because a church is made of living stones. Peter got that and he wrote later in the letter of 1 Peter. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. And he writes later, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Have a look around you. Look to your left. Look to, none of you are doing it. Look around you. Look to your left. Look to your right. Look at the people behind you. Look at the people in front of you. That's a royal priesthood right there. That's God's special possession right there. And you're thinking, really? How can that possibly be true? But it is true because of passages like Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus looks ahead, and he's talking to Peter, also talking to us, and looks ahead and said, I'm going to build my church. You know, lots of people would tell you that the church is a man-made thing. That Jesus had nothing to do with it. It just came about because of his teaching. But because of Matthew chapter 16, you can't say that. Jesus looked ahead and said, no, I'm going to build my church with people like you, Peter. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When people say that the church is a man-made thing, they say it for many reasons. Sometimes people say it because they don't actually want to be part of a church. They might consider themselves a Christian, but actually they think, I don't want the accountability and I don't really want the kind of commitment that it takes to be part of a local fellowship or a church. And actually, I don't want that. So, oh, no, it's a man-made thing and it's not an important part of my faith. You can't say that if you read Jesus correctly. Sometimes, maybe more understandably, people will look at the church and they will see things that they don't like. They will look at the history of the church and they will go, oh, that's not very good. Or they'll look at some things that are done in the name of God by churches around the world nowadays and they'll say, oh, I don't like that very much. And so they try to create a kind of thing where they say, oh, the church is man-made and it's not really of Jesus. But men and women will mess up. Things will go wrong. Sometimes people's priorities will change and they, instead of focusing on Jesus, will focus on themselves. And that will lead to 
bad things happening within the church and sometimes terrible things and sometimes despicable things that should lead to nothing being covered up but everything being in the light and people being punished and churches being shut down for the good of Christ. But what we can't do is look at those things that we despise and say, oh, well, forget about the church. I want nothing to do with the church. No, 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 no. When we see what is going on in the name of Christ in some churches around the world, we must stand strong and say, no, 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 I want to be part of building Jesus's church. I want to be part of building a church that truly and obviously reflects and shows off who Jesus actually is, his love, his compassion, his grace, his truth. That's what we need to do. We can't despise the church. We can't say, oh, I just want to be on the periphery. We can't treat it like a club because Jesus loves his church. He loves his church. When Jesus comes back, the book of Revelation makes it clear that he's coming back for one thing. He's coming back for his bride. That's what the church is called, his bride. That's the kind of language that is used. That's how much Jesus loves us. That's how much Jesus cares for us. That's how much Jesus wants to be involved in all of our lives. He loves us. He loves his church. And if we make that claim like Peter made the claim, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And if we say, I'm going to lay down my life for Jesus as a result of that, then we must also lay down our life for the things that he loves. We must also give ourselves to the things that he loves. We must give ourselves to the local church. It's made clear throughout the New Testament that the church works in local geographical locations, that groups of Christians gather near where they live and worship together and pray together and hear God's word together. Jesus makes it clear in the book of Revelation as he walks among the seven churches, right? And he he relates to seven individual churches in seven different geographical locations. And he ministers to them according to their own wants and their own needs and their own circumstances. He ministers individually to seven different local churches. So it's clear in scripture and it's clear that it was Jesus's plan that there would be the local church, where Christians learn how to play their part, learn how to be part of a local family, brothers and sisters in Christ, and lay down their lives for the church. You know, sometimes when we talk about giving our lives to Jesus, we use the kind of biblical language of, I want to give my, my heart, my soul, my mind and my strength. I want to give it all to Jesus. That's great. That's really good. But sometimes that can be a bit hard to measure. And sometimes it can be quite easy to say. And sometimes, if we're not thinking about it, it can become quite individualistic. So we talk very freely and easily about, oh, I give everything to Jesus. But actually, we don't want to be challenged on what that looks like. And actually, we don't want to think about, well, what are the next steps of that? What does giving my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength completely to Jesus, what does that look like in reality? In what context does that work itself out? 
Because you can't give your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength completely to Jesus without giving it to the things that he loves. We've already prayed those kind of prayers this morning. Consuming fire, fan into flame. Give me your heart, Jesus. Give me your desires. And if we have Jesus' heart and Jesus' desires, then we will love the church. And the giving of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength completely to him will work itself out in the context of local church. And all the things that it affects are the way we use our time, the way we use our money, the way we use our energy, the way we use our gifts, the way we use our talents. If we're saying, God, I want to give that all to you, then Jesus says, great, do it in the church. Do it amongst a body of local Christians. Do it with brothers and sisters. See, that can be hard for us. Because even as good Christians, and we say, oh, no, I don't buy into the individualism of the world today. No, 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 I'm all about community. Actually, that individualism has still kind of wormed its way into our heart. So when we hear a sermon that's about, hey, just you and your individual life, give everything to God. We think, I can accept that. I can go for that. Yeah. But when we hear and work that out in the context of community, be overcommitted to the church in all that you do, in all that you have. Give yourself to the local congregation of God's people. Devote yourself to your brothers and your sisters. Lay your own wants and your own needs down that they might be built up. Celebrate with them. Suffer with them. Go through life with God's people. That's a bit harder because that suddenly becomes something quite measurable. suddenly becomes something quite challenging. Oh, okay, so it's on the ground. How do I work it out in the context of local church? doesn't mean that everybody does the same things. It doesn't mean that everybody gives the same amount of times, but it must mean that everybody develops a deep, heartfelt passion for the local church, the local body of God's people, and says, I'm going to give myself to this. I'm going to go through life with these people because that's what Jesus has called us to do. It's a big thing to do, but it's what God wants for us. Each Christian must be connected and take seriously being part of God's people for many, many reasons. But just as we conclude, I want to look at three in particular. We've got to be committed to the local church for ourselves, for our brothers and our sisters, and for the sake of the world. I want to read to you a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. If you'd like to turn there, you may, but I'm not going to give you much time. In fact, I'm going to start reading it now. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink, Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. 
On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that if parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We'll stop there. So there's three reasons why it's so vital that we're part of a local church. Firstly, for ourselves. God has great building plans for every single one of us. Whether you knew it or not when you made that statement of faith or whether you make it today, God looks at you and says, great, I need you. I'm going to use you to be part of the church. Your brothers and your sisters, they need you. We're going to do some great building work together. Whether you have faith for that or not, that is true of you. God in love looks down on you and wants to use you. But the plans that he has for you cannot be worked out anywhere other than in the local church. The talents and the gifts and the passions that you have, you need other people to bring it out. You can't strive ahead saying, well, I'm an eye and I can see clearly and I can see everything and I don't need anyone else to help me. By the way, when you read this passage of Corinthians, we've become a bit over serious about it. Paul is joking. He's making a joke. I mean, how ridiculous is it that the whole body would be an eye or that an ear would say something to the mouth? It's a, he's, he's joking about these things. And if you're just sitting there saying, I'm an eye, I can move forward. Well, how are you going to walk? Right? Yeah. How are you going to talk? You can't do it. You just can't do it. No, 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 I've got my own gifts and my own talents and my own passions. And these people, quite frankly, are holding me back and I'm going to move forward on my own. Well, forget it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Because God's made you to be part of the church. And he's made your brothers and sisters with different talents and different gifts and different temperaments and different characters, all to bring out the best in you and me and one another. All that we might move forward together much, much stronger than we ever could on our own. And without the church around you, who would you celebrate with? I I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. You've been sitting in a room with a group of friends and you've been eating some food maybe and the food is wrapped up in wrappers. And you take a wrapper off and you eat the food and then you have a rolled up piece of wrapper in your hand and a bin on the other side of the room. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. In that situation, I think it is the only logical thing to try and throw that wrapper into the bin. It just makes sense. I've been in that situation with very difficult shots at times. Sometimes the bin has been far away and it's been behind a sofa. And I have thrown the paper and put such spin on it that it has moved across the room, landed in the bin, not hit the rim, straight in the bin. And I've gone, yes! (laughs) And everyone in the room has gone, what? And I've gone, weren't you watching what just happened? The greatest sporting moment in all of history just occurred in front of your eyes. And they say, we weren't watching. And if no one's watching me throw paper into a bin, then I'm just an idiot throwing paper into a bin, which I can't quite accept. There's no one to sell it. If they saw it, I would have been on shoulders, paraded around the room. But no one saw it. No one was there to celebrate. 
Who's there to celebrate with you? Even when you do the things that seem somewhat silly and might not seem huge to other people, but they're huge to you. Who's there to say, well done, that's great. Who's there to celebrate with you if not the local church? And you may say, but there's nothing to celebrate. I'm no rock, I'm no hero, I'm a lesser part of the body. But Paul makes it clear in that passage, no, 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 you're vital. And let that be an encouragement to you today. You're, you're vital. Whoever you are, whatever you do, you're vital. Even if you can sit there and think, I can't think of anything that I do that blesses somebody else. Well, it does. And you might never know and you might never see it until you're with God in heaven and you're looking back and he says, that thing you did, you never knew it, but it blessed them, it built them up. That thing you did, it went to that person, it went to that person, went to that person and it did an amazing thing for my kingdom and you started it all. You may never know it, but in being faithful to God and the gifts that he's given you, you're a vital part of the body. That's where encouragement is really important. I just encourage us as a church, if there's something that somebody does here that really blesses you, and you know, actually, they probably never think about it. And you know that, actually, they probably never know about it unless you told them. Well, could you tell them? Maybe after church today, just grab them over a cup of tea and say, that really blesses me when you do that. Because, you know, people leave churches. I've heard people leave churches and say, no one appreciated me. I, I, I gave nothing. I just didn't do anything. I felt like I shouldn't be there. And you think, oh, no, you didn't know. Because we're not encouraging one another. Encourage someone today. Find someone today and say, look, this really blesses me when you do that. Build the other person up. It's really important. And then, of course, we walk with each other through celebration and we walk with each other through suffering. Some of the most powerful moments in church life are when people are brave enough to say, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. There's a situation in my life right now. I'm bringing nothing to the table. I'm just struggling. And it's powerful because the church comes around and says, well, we're going to struggle with you. We're going to walk with you. We're going to be with you. And actually, it's a great honour to share in suffering with somebody because it grows a church. It teaches us about perseverance. And it teaches us about hope. Hope that one day, all this pain and suffering will be gone. Suffering together teaches us and grows us. It's really important. It brings us to our next point, that it's vital to be part of a local church because your brothers and sisters need you. If you need brothers and sisters to bring out the best in you, then obviously other people need you and your gifts and your talents. It's not a selfish thing. It's not saying, OK, I'll be part of the church because it builds up me. No, no, no. We need you. I need you. You need the person sitting next to you. That's what church is all about. We all need people to celebrate with and walk with when we're suffering. We need each other. It was God's plan. But why? Why do we do it then? Because it's good for us, it's good for you, I scratch my back, you know. No, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. Is it just because it's another good club? You know, there was no room in the WI or the Lions or the Rotary were full, so I guess I'll just pick the church and we'll do some fundraisers for a new roof and we'll all get on very happily. Is that what it's for? No, it's not for that. It's because God has a great mission for his church. The start of the book of Acts in the Bible, which, uh, which shows off what the early church did and the apostles did once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, starts with the word from Luke. He looks back at his other book, Luke, and he says, that was about all that Jesus began to do. 
which is an odd phrase because Jesus has gone up to heaven. He's ascended. But he's saying, no, that's what Jesus began. He's still working. He's still working through his church. We are now called to take this mission and gospel of Jesus everywhere that we go. And we've got to do it together. We've got to do it together. Have you ever heard when you've been uh, taught or when someone has said, you know, we're fishers of men? You heard that phrase? Because we're Western individualists, what typically happens is in our head, we think of sitting and fishing like this with a pole. That's what we think. I'm a fisher of men, right? It's me. That's not what Jesus meant. We're fishers of men. It's a big boat with all of us doing different jobs, grabbing the nets, pulling up the sails, whatever you do on a fishing boat. I don't know. (laughs) But it's a job for all of us. We've got to change our thinking. We can only do this mission if we do it together. The church is by far the most powerful evangelistic tool that there has ever been. When people look in on the church, they are supposed to see Jesus. Jesus said in the Gospel of John that this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. We can only do that in the context of community. And you may have seen things in church. You may have seen things in this church. You may have seen things in church that you've been that you despise and you just think, I don't want to be near that but can I please ask you to instead of shying away or instead of thinking oh I'm not going to get too involved or I'm just going to stay on the sidelines can I encourage you to please think differently and if you see things that you despise or you see things in the world that you want to change or in the church that you think could be more like Jesus then bring the antidote of love into the situation because when we see something bad in church life it's usually because love has been displaced by something else by pride or by fear or by deceit. and Love needs to get back. Love of Jesus and love of one another needs to be at the forefront again. A love that's patient, a love that's kind, a love that doesn't envy, a love that doesn't boast, that's not proud, that doesn't dishonour others, that isn't self-seeking, that's not easily angered, that keeps no record of wrongs, a love that does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth, that always protects that always trusts, that always hopes, that always perseveres, because that love, we are taught, will not fail. And it will not fail on the mission that Christ has given us, to bear fruit for him, to grow as a congregation, to grow as local churches, to grow as a church in an area, a church in a nation, the church across the world, to grow in love so that when people look in, they see a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven that is to come. And they are so attracted by it that they become part of it. Jesus asks each and every one of us today and every day the same question that he asked Peter. Who do you say that I am? You may not have made that decision yet. If you're here and you haven't made that decision yet, can I please encourage you to make it? And to say to Jesus, I see you as the Son of God and the Messiah. The evidence points there. The history is real and it's true. And the plans that he has for you far outweigh any plans that man could have. And the legacy that you can build as part of the church is greater than any other legacy that can be built because the church is the only thing that will last forever, that we have been called to be a part of. For those of us, the vast majority of us, I guess, who are here this morning and we say, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God, he's the Messiah, that's that's what I believe. Well, realise that in giving our heart and soul and strength and mind to him completely, we also have to give it to the things that he loves. And he loves the church. We've got to work out what that means for our time and our energy and our resources. 
what it means for how much of our life we share with one another. Because when we do that, when we live as the community that God has called us to be, that's when we're most ourselves. That's when we can most be used by God. That's when we can most bless the people around us and build up those around us who need it and celebrate with those around us who are celebrating. And it's the only way, as the church, both gathered when we come together and scattered, because you go. You go to your neighbourhoods, you go to your houses, you go to your workplaces, you go to your schools, but you're still the church. You go, corporate and scattered, as part of this community, praying for one another, supporting one another, caring for one another. That's how we take the gospel to the nations. That's how we show the kingdom to the people around us, by being part of this glorious, wonderful bride of Christ, temple of living stones, body of Jesus, the local church. I want to bring our time to an end. I'm going to pray. I would just encourage you today to be built up by the truth that Jesus will build his church and that he wants to use you. He's got a plan for you. He's got gifts and talents to put in you that you can use. And to consider again, do we love the church as Jesus loves the church? Give ourselves to it, knowing that it will build us up, build up one another, and take the gospel to the nations. There's lots more to talk about, but I don't have the time. So I'm going to stop.